Welcome to Knowing Him. This is Steve Danielson. And this is Angie Danielson. Join us each week as we explore the hymns of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and share our feelings, insights, and reflections about how each one brings us closer to Jesus Christ. Enjoy your favorites and find some undiscovered gems in our journey to knowing Him. Welcome, friends, to today's episode of Knowing Him. I'm your host, Steve Danielson. I'm here with my gracious co-host, Angie. Hi. So, Angie, I am thankful for your graciousness because I know I make a lot of mistakes and I have hard times and you are always gracious and, and help me through them. So, well, you help you. me through my hard times, too. <laughs> well, we all need that grace. Uh, so today we are talking about hymn 98, I Need Thee Every Hour. Uh, this week's hymn corresponds to the Come, Follow Me reading in Hebrews 1 through 6. I love this hymn, and I am excited to hear what you have to say about it. I love this hymn, too. I think it's we need the Lord every hour. Yeah. <laughs> the, words, the words apply to all of us. Yeah, that's saying a, a mouthful right there. Yeah. So this hymn was written by Annie Sherwood Hawks. She was born in 1835 in Hoosick, New York. Uh, I was hoping she was name. born in Sherwood Forest. No. <laughs> um, she died in 1918 in Bennington, Vermont. So she mostly lived in New York. Okay. I guess. New England area. Yeah, New England. Um, she was a gifted writer from her youth. And when she was 14 years old, she was writing poems for newspapers and having things published. And... Um, she wrote over 400 hymn texts, but this is really the only one that's still widely sung. Hmm. Um, she, the few of the other ones that it listed that she wrote, which I've never heard of any of them. Um, Thine most gracious Lord, why weepest thou? Whom, who seekest thou? Full and free salvation, and my soul is anchored. So There's a spiritual, my soul is... Anchored in, the Lord. anchored in the Lord. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, think it's, it's the same. same. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's the same one. Um, so she married Charles Hawks in 1859, and she spent her time raising her children. So writing her poems was on the side. You know, she she devoted her life to to being a mother and raising her children. Um, she attended Hanson Place Baptist Church in Brooklyn. And this is where she met our composer, uh, um, Robert Lowry, who was her pastor. Oh, okay. I was wondering if they actually did know each other. Yeah. So she went to the church where he was the pastor. Okay. And he loved her poems and encouraged her to write poems, and he set a lot of them to music. So it wasn't just this one. It was, she, he, he did a lot of her, her poems, which it's I thought was neat. Nice to have that collaboration. Yeah. <laughs> um. So before we go into the story of the, the hymn, we'll talk about him. So Robert Lowry was born in 1826 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to Irish immigrants. Um, and he died in 1899 in Plainfield, New Jersey. Um, when he was 17 years old, he said that he had a religious experience that made him decide to change from being Presbyterian to being Baptist. Hmm. Did it say so, anything more about the experience? Or? Uh-uh, not from what I read. So I'm not sure what the experience was. But um, he studied at the University of Lewisburg, 
And it was interesting. It was saying that the university wasn't really completely established when he started going there. And so they were just meeting in rented spaces like basements, like they didn't have buildings yet or anything. That <laughs> sounds familiar to what we were doing on my mission. Yeah, <laughs> except this was a university, not, oh, not church. Yeah. So, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. And then eventually, I guess it got built up. Um, he entered the Baptist ministry in 1854. And at one point, I think it was later in his life, he was also a professor of rhetoric for a time at the University of Lewisburg where he had gone to school. Hmm. Do, you, do you know what a professor of rhetoric even does? <laughs> uh, rhetoric is the sort of the, the classics. So you're going to be teaching like Latin and Greek and uh, literature and hmm. Interesting. Like that. Um, and he also, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think that's the name of a class anymore or a, no. <laughs> anything like that. Um, he at one point became the University of Lewisburg's chancellor, which was an honorary position. Um, and when he worked there as a professor, he was also still a pastor at a nearby church. So he's kind of doing both at the same time. Um, and the University of Lewisburg also gave him an honorary doctorate in div- div- divinity. So they really liked him and he really liked them. <laughs> um, starting in 1868, he was the editor of hymnals for Biglow and Maine, which was the leading publisher of gospel and Sunday school music. So, and he edited more than 20 hymnals. Hmm. So there was all sorts of hymnals that, that came through him and... I'm not sh- I don't remember if it said how many of those had I need the every hour in them, but <laughs> I know at least one of them did. <laughs> um, but he he always wanted to be well known for being a pastor, but he was actually more well known for his hymn writing oh. <laughs> down through time. Um, and I liked this quote that he said, um, He said, I was in London and had gone to meeting in the Old Bailey. I was preparing to leave when the chairman of the meeting announced that the author of Shall We Gather at the River, which is the name of one of his hymns, was present, and I was requested by name to come forward. Men applauded and women waved their handkerchiefs as I went to the platform. It was a tribute to the hymn, but I felt when it was over that after all I had perhaps done some little good in the world, and I felt more than ever content to die when God called. I thought that was good. He felt like, you know, seeing how grateful the people were for the the hymn, that he'd done some good. Um, So some of the names of his other hymns, which I had also never heard of, um, are Shall We Gather at the River, which is the one he was talking about, Christ Arose, How Can I Keep from Singing, which I don't think is the same one that you sang. (laughs) I don't know. Nothing But the Blood of Jesus and All the Way My Savior Leads Me. And All the Way My Savior Leads Me was written with the famous hymn writer Fanny Crosby. I can't remember if we've talked about her before, but I don't remember. Her name sounded familiar. Top of my head. Um, I think I looked up his "How can I keep from singing?" and it wasn't the same words, but you can double check on that. <laughs> um, so he was married twice, and his first wife died in 1890, um, and then he married again in 1892, and then he died in 1899. So he wasn't married to his second wife for very 
too long. Um, did you find anything about that? Well, the Wikipedia article on um, how can I keep from singing attributes the tune to Lowry. And it's the same words that you sang? Same words, yeah. Hmm. Well, maybe it is the yeah, same it, song. It looks like the tune is the same. My life goes on in endless song above a lamentation. Oh. Yeah. Maybe it is the same song. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so let's talk about I Need Thee Every Hour. Can you read the words to us? Sure. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee every hour, stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee every hour in joy or pain. Come quickly and abide, or life is vain. I need thee every hour, most holy one. Oh, make me thine indeed, thou blessed son. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Thanks. How have these words touched your life? There have been many instances, I mean, as recently as today, <laughs> when I have called to the Lord, I need thee. Mm. I am struggling. I Life is a lot harder sometimes than we anticipate it's going to be whether it's a financial strain or it's something at work or something going on with the kids or something. Life is just sort of piles up on you sometimes. And I fell to my knees and cried out, I need thee. I can't do this alone. I need thy help. Yeah, definitely seems to happen you know, almost every hour, you know, <laughs> we need the Lord mm -hmm. for something. I like how she says, in joy or pain, that we should also be crying out to the Lord in joy. Yeah. You know, sometimes we only think about the Lord when we're <laughs> struggling or in pain or having problems. Um, but her story, which we'll read in a minute, was actually a time of joy when she wrote this song, which I really like. Um I read in our Latter-day hymns that I think it was in there. It might have been a different place. But Spencer W. Kimball, who was one of our, our prophets, um, this was his favorite hymn. And he often wanted this song in meetings of the Quorum of the Twelve. Um, so I thought that was neat. Um, many many of the the women songwriters of the 19th century wrote hymns like this but were more personal and I really liked what the umdiscipleship.org I use that website a lot they have a lot of good stuff that's about the, the United, Me Methodist, United Methodist, right? Methodist yeah. Discipleship yeah um, they have a lot of great things about the history of the hymns and what they said was um, many of the 19th century women wrote first person accounts that grow out of a deep personal piety resulting in a language of intimacy between the singer and the savior well, they said Annie Hawks was writing in this style of this personal relationship between mm. the singer and the savior. Why do you think women would write more like that than men? Well, it's a stereotype to say it, but I think there's truth in the stereotype that 
women, I think, are more sensitive to the spirit. Um, that they have more of the the nurturing uh, aspect in their lives, which I think draws them, connects them to each other, to children, and to God more than men typically do. Not to say that all women are like that, not to say that men can't be like that, but I think overall, as a, a general rule, women are like that. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. And that's beautiful that we can really feel the intimacy in this, in this hymn, you know, um, of our relationship with the Lord and how much we need him. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting. There was actually another verse that, that she wrote that we don't have in our hymn book. Mm. Um, it says, I need thee every hour. Teach me thy will and thy rich promises in me fulfill. I'm not sure why we left that one out. It doesn't sound like know. it is not doctrinally sound. It sounds like yes. it's good. <laughs> but Ran out of room yeah, for fifth verse. I don't verse, know. So. <laughs> um, but Robert Lowry actually is the one that wrote the refrain. So oh, at the end okay. of the song, it says, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. So he added that, so that when was he Lowry's wrote edition. Yeah, when he wrote the music, he added that at the end. So I, I liked that. Um I'm glad that that part was added. So I want to read this little story of how she wrote the hymn. And I um, I liked the whole thing, so I'm going to read it, even though it's a little long, because um, it's just better in her words. <laughs> and she said, Whenever my attention is called to it, I am conscious of great satisfaction in the thought that I was permitted to write the hymn, I Need Thee Every Hour, and that it was wafted out to the world on the wings of love and joy. Rather than under the stress of a great personal sorrow with which it has so often been associated in the minds of those who sing it. I remember well the morning many years ago when, in the midst of the daily cares of my home, then in a distant city, I was so filled with the sense of nearness to the Master that wondering how one could live without Him in e- either in joy or pain, these words, I need thee every hour, were ushered into my mind the thought at once taking full possession of me. Seating myself by the open window in the balmy air of the bright June day, I caught my pencil and the words were soon committed to paper, almost as they are being sung today. It was only by accident, it would seem, that they were set to music a few months after and sung for the first time at a Sunday school convention held in one of the large western cities. From there they were taken farther west and sung by thousands of voices before the echo came back to me, thrilling my heart with surprise and gladness. For myself, the hymn was prophetic rather than expressive of my own experience at the time it was written, and I do not understand why it so touched the great throbbing heart of humanity. It was not until long years after, when the shadow fell over my way, the shadow of a great loss, that I understood something of the comforting in the words I had been permitted to write and give out to others in my hours of sweet security and peace. Now when I hear them sung, as I have sometimes by hundreds of voices in chorus, I find it difficult to think they were ever consciously my own thought or penned by my own hand. I love that. She just said that so perfectly. And she wrote it, in this time of great joy and feeling close to the Savior. But later, what happened in her life was that her husband died at age 55, which is pretty young. And then only one of her three children was still alive when she wrote the hymn. 
And so several of her, her children, two of her children died at a young age. Um, and so then she understood why people sang this song when they were sad as well as joyful. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was beautiful. Um, I also wanted to read this little interesting um, quote from Robert Lowry um, about how he writes music. And it sounded similar to another person that we've talked about, but I can't remember who it was. So, <laughs> but I'll read this. He said, I have no method. Sometimes the music comes and the words follow, fitted, fitted insensibly to the melody. I watch my moods, and when anything good strikes me, whether words or music, and no matter where I am, at home or on the street, I jot it down. Often the margin of a newspaper or the back of an envelope serves as a notebook. My brain is a sort of spinning machine, I think, for there is music running through it all the time. I do not pick out my music on the keys of an instrument. The tunes nearly, of nearly all the hymns I have written have been completed on paper before I tried them on the organ. Frequently, the words of the hymns and the music have been written at the same time. So, does that sound familiar? Kind of, we've we've talked about somebody else that said that yeah, they just jot them all down yeah. in the street or whatever, wherever they're at. Well, that's a that's a gift. To yeah, be able to have it fully formed in your head and be able to write it down like that. Yeah, I thought that was neat. Um, so let's turn to our "Come Follow Me" lesson. We're in Hebrews one through six this week, um, and I wanted to read a couple in a couple spots. Um, if you want to read Hebrews 2, verses 9 to 18. So this is a little bit longer section, but this is really good, talking about Christ and how much we, we need him. Hebrews 2, 9 to 18. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain, of their, or the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth, and they who are sanctified, are all one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, I will declare thy name unto thy brethren, unto my brethren, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Forasmuch then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it is it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So what do you think, how did this scripture apply to the, to the hymn? Well, so the scripture is telling us that the that Christ came to earth so that he could, I mean, one reason was so that he could understand us. 
Uh, he became human. He was with his brethren. Uh, he learned what it felt like to be tempted. He knew what it was like to succor other people. He knew what it was like to be a human and to live in this sort of fallen, corrupt world. And so when we struggle, when we have problems, or when we rejoice and we have success, he knows what it feels like and he knows how to rejoice with us or how to succor us when we need help. He understands. Yeah. He's not a distant God that doesn't understand human nature. He knows us and he is there for us all the time. Yeah, I like this line in verse 16. He took on him the seed of Abraham. I like yeah. that. I don't know if I've ever really thought about that before. But that's a neat phrase. Um, it reminds me back in, to, the, to the hymn in verse 2. I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. So he can help us overcome those things because he experienced it all. Um, the other verses in Hebrews I wanted to read was chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. I'll read this one. Oh, this is a well-known uh, section that is just beautiful. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched <clears throat> with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help to help in time of need. I love that. that he like it's the same thing as the other verses that he felt everything that we feel, our pains, our infirmities, our temptations, so that we can come boldly to him mm. and not be afraid. Um, I thought it was interesting that in one of the articles I was reading, it said that at the bottom of this hymn, I think in other hymn books, um, <clears throat> the scripture in John 15 about Jesus being the vine and us being the branches was the scripture that was down at the bottom of mm -hmm. the hymn. So I just want to read a few of those verses. Um, this is John 15, 5 to 7. <clears throat> I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So how do you think this verse, these verses relate to the hymn? That he is the vine and we are the branches. I mean, I think in that case, we are, we are of him. I mean, just as a branch comes from the vine and the vine understands the branches, the vine knows the branches. Uh, it's the same, same sort of thing that we were just talking about. Uh, and the branches need the vine. The branches can't survive on their own. You can't just chop a branch off and say, okay, go grow. You know, the branch needs the vine, needs the nourishment yeah. from that. And it's a it's a constant thing. Yeah, so that's perfect. I need the every hour. So, you have any other thoughts before we sing? I just thought it was interesting um, when I was looking this up this evening 
that this text hasn't really been set to any other tunes. Like on Hymnery, this yeah. is the only tune <laughs> that you find uh, find this. And I thought that was a, an interesting find. Um, interestingly enough, I actually wrote a setting of this text uh, several years ago for our state choir. Um, different tune, completely different feel. Um, but I was just really surprised that there weren't any other hymn settings uh, of this text. You're the first one. I know. I'm first. I'm it. No, I'm sure there are other <laughs> ones out there. Um, but I'll, I'll put a... I'll, maybe I'll make a special bonus episode where I'll play that one that I wrote. But, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, but that's all I got. <laughs> hey, let's sing. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. I need thee every hour, stay thou nearby, temptations lose their power. When thou art nigh, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. I need thee. Every hour in joy or pain, come quickly and abide, or life is vain. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh. Savior, I come to Thee. I need Thee every hour, most holy one. Oh, make me Thine indeed, Thou blessed Son. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Well, friends, thank you for joining us today as we discussed the hymn, I Need Thee Every Hour. As always, it's a joy to be with you and to discuss the hymns. 
If you'd like to connect with us, please email us at knowinghim at gmail.com or connect with us through our website, knowinghim.weebly.com. We'd love to hear from you what you think about the podcast and about the hymns. In the meantime, I hope you'll join us next week as we sing our way to Knowing Him. Thank you.